we've been going focusing on Christ. And so we started off with the shadow of Christ, and we looked at um, what the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, had to say about Christ coming. And we looked at many um, uh, types, um, allusions to the coming of Messiah and what he would be like and the timing of his coming and such like that. And that it should not have taken him by surprise, but it did. And then we transitioned into the life of Christ. And looking at the life of Christ, we have considered his birth, his youth. And then we moved into this kind of the subsection here of his ministry. And we considered his preparation, his proclamation, his power, his parables, his passion, and his pattern. And, and then last week, we began looking at his promises. And in looking at his promises, um, we, I said that, you know, there's just so much here, and um, I, I just, I need to, to break this into, into two parts. And so, last week we began, oh, we began looking at um, his, his, imminent, his immediate promises, and those were the promises that were going to come um, in the near future. Like, they were going to happen right away in the immediate, immediate time. And so we saw that he promised, Jesus promised, that he would answer our prayers. And so we, we, we talked about that, and we said that, you know, the name and claimant stuff, it's all wrong, except for the fact there is a side, scripturally speaking, that is name and claimant. Does anybody remember what it is? When, when, can, you, when, you can, when can you name and claim it? When it's according to God's will. He said, if you ask anything according to my will, I'll do it. And so, when you pray in Jesus' name, it's not tagging on the, the mantra or the hocus-pocus at the end of your prayer. And because you said in Jesus' name, he has to do it. There's no roving the, the genie lamp and saying, okay, I get it. You guys in the military, you understand? It's like signing, for some, signing an order in the name of the commander. But if the commander reads the order and he doesn't agree, what's going to happen? The order is revoked. You have the revocation order that comes right afterwards. And so the father looks to the son and says, Really, son? Jesus is, you know, my, my son, is this really, you want that pink Cadillac for Bob? And he says, Gee, Dad, I don't know where he got that from. He didn't get it from me. And so the pink Cadillac what, does what? It goes out the window and I get the little, you know, Hyundai or something, you know? And so, um, and then secondly, even more importantly, excitingly, he promised that he would send the, the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit, convict the world of righteousness, judgment, and sin. But for us, the believers, he was going to come and he would, well, do what? He would seal us. He'd seal us to the day of redemption. That means that if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, the Word of God says that you are the temple of the, the Holy Spirit. He lives in within you. What an amazing thing. There is no need for a temple in Jerusalem right now where God, in a sense, reigns and God dwells. Because where does God dwell now? In the hearts of his believers. What an amazing thing to think about. That the, the eternal one who created the heavens and the earth, who spoke them all into a being, and he's beyond the, the vastness of the universe, which you can't comprehend and I can't comprehend, and he's way beyond that, dwells in my heart. And dwells in your heart, if you know him. What a mind-boggling thing. But he also said that when the Holy Spirit came, not only would he seal us, indwelling us there, but he would also then... Teach us and lead us into all truth. Truth. He would lead us into all truth. And the fact is then, I mean, I believe in discipleship, and, and I ought to be training those men and women, but primarily men, that God brings into my life. And my goal in training men is that they also then would go out and find men that they could disciple and equip and train. Okay? That the process continues on. But the reality is, apart from all that, all truth comes from who? From God. And from the Holy Spirit. And that my discipler ultimately is the Holy Spirit, who will lead me and guide me into all truth. 
Jesus promised it. If you are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are called by his name, if you are one of his children, then the Holy Spirit indwells you, seals you to the day of redemption, and will teach you and lead you into all truth. Note when we read Matthew, or when Steve read Matthew 24, and I doubt if we'll talk, look at that verse this morning when we look at Matthew 24 here, but note what it says that when these, all these false prophets and everything arise, it says if it was possible, they would be able to deceive even the very elect. Which means what? It's not going to be possible. When the false anointed ones come, and I, I shared in Sunday school, it's amazing to me how, you know, today, in, in our day today, we've had this, all this stuff about the anointings and the anointed ones and their anointed ones, and that's the word for Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. And so there's going to be all these false anointed ones who are going to come and say, I'm an anointed one. I have an anointing. And they're going to preach something that's not true. And, and Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but that's okay, it's all free, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I'm fearful over you, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, because I'm, I'm afraid that just as, as Eve was deceived by, by Satan, so you might as well be deceived. Someone may come with another gospel, another Jesus, or another spirit, and you may very well accept them. The fact is that there are false anointed ones who come, and they come with another what? Another good news. It's not the good news that Jesus brought. They come with a different Jesus. I'm praying in Jesus' name. And I'm preaching in Jesus' name. And I'm not trying to pick on people, but you've got to ask people, what Jesus are you talking about? Because if he isn't Jesus who was God in the flesh, who was born of the Virgin Mary in a town of Bethlehem and lived, grew up in Nazareth and, and proclaimed Isaiah 61 that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, he isn't my Jesus. And if he isn't the Jesus that was crucified and was buried and, 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 and died for three days and raised from the dead by the power of God and is going to come in the flesh in the clouds, he's not my Jesus. Do you understand? And that sounds kind of mm, limiting there, but you know, God's kind of limiting in his word. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no man who comes to the Father except through me. Not even a fake Jesus. I mean, I understand, Dad, you know, we had the Alou brothers, right? Back then playing baseball. You had Mate, Felipe, and Jesus. Jesus. Jesus played baseball. It was Jesus Alou. You know, it was Jesus Alou. We said, Jesus Alou. But if you look at his name, it was Jesus. Well, he wasn't clearly my Jesus. Make sense? Okay. And we understand, well, that kind of makes sense. Well, okay, that makes sense, but think about it. There's nothing special. I don't want to destroy what you're, any, any preconceived notions here, but there's nothing special about the name Jesus. Except for God, Yahweh, Elohim, the God eternal, chose to take that name because it means that God is my salvation. Do you understand? And, and sought to bring that in and use that as a descriptor form. But just as there's nothing sacred about the name Robert, there's nothing sacred about the name Jesus. Except for the person who, who took the name Jesus. Does it make sense? That's what's important about it. So anyways, so we were looking at these promises, and today we want to move then into these, the next segment of promises, and that is the imminent the, the, the promises. And I'm always amazed when we come into these um, um, spiritual war moments with, with electronical devices. 
Right now, I don't know if you see it, but there's a spiral happening with yellow, big yellow lettering that's coming in, and it says, the Im imminent promises, those regarding the distant future. Can you see it? <laughs> Anyways, I can't see it either, but I promise you it's there, because when I hit, click this one, the point underneath it comes in, okay? So I don't know where happened to the yellow letterings, but it's up there somewhere. Um, anyways, it's amazing. I, I never get it. You know, why does this work on a computer before I start preaching? And when I start preaching, it doesn't work. Anyway, spiritual war is always out there. Okay, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, but against electronic warfare. Okay, so, but in this, uh, the imminent promises, the promises that are going to come in the distant future, I think, I honestly think I'm living in that distant future. Okay? Jesus said there was going to come a time when the world was going to have its reckoning. And that's where we want to start. So hopefully you're still there in Matthew 24. That's where we read this morning, uh, Matthew 24, verses 3 to 35. But we actually want to look beyond verse 35 as well. And I don't have the time to go verse by verse. I mean, if we did just this passage, we would probably break it up into two or three weeks. And so I don't have time for all that. But I want to look at that. That's why we did as our Bible reading. And I want to look at it globally here. Okay? Because as we look at this reckoning in the world, the first thing we saw was great calamity. There was going to be calamity over the, all the world. And as Steve read it this morning, you see in verse 6, it says, You will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not what? Troubled. I mean, now, anybody in, in any time now in the last 2,000 years pretty much could be saying that they've heard of what? Wars and rumors of war. But one thing we have in our day that the other days haven't had, and that is what? In, internet. Instantaneous news. You know... I mean, if you've got Twitter, and I don't have Twitter, I'm just, just too much technology. I don't need to, the information overload thing going on. But what I understand with you guys who have Twitter is that you can know almost instantaneously when there's an uprising in the world. And they, they, and they follow now. They track these trends on Twitter with information that's going and finding out what are the big, the big stories around the world. There are, there are webcams set up all around the world, but... What's most exciting is that there's a bunch of webcams set up where? Israel, specifically at the Mount of Olives. Do you know why they're at the Mount of Olives? That's where he's coming back. It's where Jesus is coming back. Every eye is going to see him, you know, when he, when he comes back. And people, How's that going to happen? <laughs> We're setting it all up. It's an amazing thing. But there's going to be wars and rumors of war. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Why? Nations are going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Birth pains is the concept here. And so we talked about that a little bit in Sunday school, that, that you ladies who have had, have had children, you know how it goes. It, starts, it doesn't start with, ah! It just starts with a little, what? A little rumbling, a little pain. And you wonder... Is this for real? Is this just Braxton Hicks? You know, is this a fake one? You know, and then all of a sudden you realize, no, this is real. They're, they're, they're getting closer and closer together. And, and as they're getting closer together, they're getting a little what? Stronger. But it's still nothing compared to what? Transitional labor. What's coming? Okay. And, and so that's what he's saying. He says, listen, this, this is nothing. This is just the beginning of sorrows. You ain't seen nothing yet. And so Paul says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction, sudden transitional pain, if you would, will come upon them. There is going to be this 
timing of great calamity when it comes up. And it says that in verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. In this calamity, there's going to be this physical side of this calamity, where people are going to be, we're going to be struggling with this, famines, pestilence. What does that mean to you? What does a famine mean to you? There's going to be starvation that's going on. There's going to be a lack of food. I bring this over to the book of Revelation, and we talk about the seal judgments, and we talk about a quarter of wheat for a day's wages and two quarts of barley for a day's wage. And remember a couple years ago, when I went through the book of Revelation, we talked about the minimum wage and, and what it was, and it worked out to about $60 a day. And if you could get a quarter, quarter of wheat for a day's wage, it meant you could do a quarter of wheat for 60 bucks, and a quarter of wheat, after it's ground, will make... How many loaves of bread? Two. We, we did it. For our, at least our loaves were two loaves. And so it made two loaves of bread. That meant that a loaf of bread was going to cost you $30. And if you, if you were a common laborer, that's what you got for your day's wage. Two loaves of bread. Now that's under that. But coming out of that, then we read that there's going to be what then? Pestilence. Well, that makes sense. And so as you read the book of especially when you read the seal judgments, all this kind of makes sense and it flows together. We'll talk about this with return to Christ a little bit, and I don't want to get into the timing on this one here right now. I just want to talk about the calamity that's going to be there, and it's going to be physical. Okay? I honestly think you can hold this one and say, hmm, I think I'm going through the seal judgments. I don't think Jesus is coming back to that final trumpet, and I think that's in Revelation 10, not Revelation chapter 12. I'm not a mid-trib person. I'm a pre-trib person, but I think I'm going to go through those seals, and I'm going to go through the, the first six or so trumpets, and, and so, therefore, if that's a possibility, I hope he does, and I hope he comes before that, and I don't have to go through all that stuff. But if he does come at that time, then I need to be what? I need to be ready. And that's why I think Jesus said, but don't be what? Don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. These things are going to happen, and you're going to start to wonder, is God in control? What's happening here? But always remember, when, when the, and I shared this last week, when the warfare comes, you're what? You're on the winning team. I'm on the winning side. It doesn't matter what Satan wants to throw at me. The only way he can throw it at me is through God's sovereignty. He can't do anything apart from what God allows him to do to me. And in the end, God's going to what? God's going to win. And if you're on his side, you're on the winning side. If you're not on God's side, you're on the losing side. I'm sorry. I don't know how else to say it. There is no middle ground. You're, it's, it's black and white, man. You're on one side of the fence or you're on the other side of the fence. You can't stand in the middle. Someone, my boys were saying that they, they heard from Matt, and so this must come from you, Matt. I don't know where you got it. Maybe you got it from me. I don't know. But you can't stand on the fence because what's on the fence? Spikes. There's spikes on the fence. And if, you get, trying to, if you're trying to stand on the, on the top of the fence with the spikes, you get poked. Okay? And so the fact is you can't be there. You've got to be on one side or the other. Okay? And so which side are you on? You on the winning side, or are you on the losing side? There ain't nothing in between. So there's going to be this great calamity on the earth. But if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, then you know it ahead of time, and it shouldn't bother you. Now I understand you're going to struggle through all those things. When the day quarter weeks, the day wages, and stuff like that, that means that what? You're going to go through that too. Okay. I remember when there was the 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 um, the drought, if you would, in northern Israel that was caused by Elijah's fervent prayers. In stopping the what? The rain. God did what? He hid Elijah aside, and what did he do? He made sure he had water, and he made sure he had food to eat. How did the food come? 
by the Ravens. The Ravens brought them the food. God always takes care of his, his own. He takes care of his own. Okay? But in America, it's going to be really hurt, a hard time because we're used to what? Affluence. That's exactly right. For those in the world who, who are used to getting their daily bread, that struggle is not going to be as rough because they're used to getting their what? Daily bread. But for you and I, who are used to having daily affluence, we're going to think the world's falling apart. And that's when we were going to understand when Jesus says, pray in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, give us this day our daily bread. Because a, 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 a loaf of bread is going to be worth 30 bucks, according to today's standard. But in, understand, inflation is going to increase. It's, it may be more like 100 200 or $1,000 for that loaf of bread. Think about what went down in South America with the, how the, the, the price of their dollars just went out the, out the roof. Spiritually speaking, though, there's going to be a time of great calamity. As I just already started reading, they're going to hand you over. They're going to deliver you. False prophets are going to rise up. False Christs are going to rise up. They're going to call what is good evil and what is evil good. And because evil is going to abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. Which means from Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews 3 tells me that you are a partaker of Christ if you continue steadfast till the end. And so if you don't persevere to the end, if you give in when, when this evil abounds, if if you suck into the evil and God doesn't convict you and God doesn't deliver you and you have no remorse over it all, you're not his. That's just a fact. And as I look over the landscape of at least the American church, that's where I live, I begin to see what creeping into all the churches? The world. We, we, different words, apathy, compromise, the world. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is being portrayed all around us. God calls us through Paul to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable act of worship. But be not conformed to the world, rather be transformed the renewing of your mind. But all around us we see churches being conformed to the, the world. And the love of many is what? Waxing cold. Because their eyes aren't focused on God anymore. It's focused on the world. And there is a false gospel and a false Jesus and a false spirit that is pervading our land. I'm not a judge and I'm not pointing out churches. I'm just pointing out what I see. And I pray, Lord... I don't want to be, I don't want my love to wax cold. I, I, feel, I feel the tensions, I feel the struggles, just like everybody else. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's a struggle in my life, man. I mean, I, I know it. I, you know, where does the sin, James 1 says, where does that sin come from? It comes from within you. You know, you're drawn away of your own lusts. I mean, I have those lusts, just like you have those lusts. And there's no temptation that's overtaken me, but such is common to you. Okay. And, and so God is faithful, and with the temptation, with that trial, with that troublesome situation, he will make a way for me to what? Escape. And he won't allow me to be tempted and tried or whatever beyond what I'm able to bear. And so, so the reality is, I don't want to be conformed to the world. I want to be careful. But here we know in these end times, what's going to happen in these end times, is that because evil is going to abound, lawlessness is going to abound, wickedness is going to abound, it's going to be prevalent in our society. Sound familiar? The love of many is going to... Wax cold. I watched a reporter. Now, and this is not a political statement. I'm not making any statement about Herman Cain. 
Okay? Whether I vote for him or not, I don't know. Um, but I, I watched this, and it was amazing to me. Um, this reporter continually attacking this guy, okay, about all these social issues, which, according to my standard, is evil and wickedness. And she wants to try to pin him to a corner to make a righteous statement. So she can what? Crucify him. It's amazing to me. We live in that day when what is good is evil to the world. And what is evil is good. But we're told as well that reckoning of the world, there is great certainty about it. Jesus said that these things will occur. He says in verse 29, I'm going to pick this up for context. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give his light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Isn't it amazing how they like to do, Hollywood tries to have all these movies to, to make us accustomed to some of these judgments of God, you know, the asteroid movies and stuff like that to try to, you know, make us think, well, this is just, you know, it's going to happen, you know. Anyways, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, not the clouds of the hoofbeats of the Roman army, but coming on the clouds of what? Heaven. I just don't understand all millennialists. Anyways, the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect, the rapture of the church, from the four winds, the harpazo, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this. Parable from the fig tree. It's a simple parable from a fig tree, right? He says, you look at the fig tree, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that what? Summer is near. Now, I mean, okay, let's, let's be honest, okay? If you've got, I've got my little orchard, okay? I don't know, may have about eight trees. There. But it's my little orchard, okay? It's not a big orchard, but it's my little orchard. And I can look back there at my trees, my peach trees, my apple trees, the, uh, the plum tree. We've got a cherry tree back there now, you know? And, and they all have different what? Colors of, of flowers. It's really kind of exciting. But when they begin to bring forth their leaves, what do I know? If I didn't know by the calendars, what do I know? Spring is coming. Summer, I mean, it's, it's already spring. Summer is coming. The change in the weather is, is here. That's all Jesus is saying. He says, look, you look at the, the and you know when it's happening. So you also, when you see all these things, what we were just talking about, and what he just he shared, so please read all of that, okay? Study it all. When you see these things, know that it is near at the doors. What is near? The kingdom of God. That's where we all started, remember? What was the message? When we started all this off with the ministry of God, what, or ministry of Christ, what was his proclamation? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's here. We're, and where do we say that the kingdom of heaven is? Wherever Christ is is why because he is the he's the king and so he's getting ready to come the kingdom of heaven is near why because the king is coming when you see these things begin to to happen what should you know jesus is coming again and how's he going to come he's going to come in the clouds of heaven with the angels all with him i mean there's going to be a time of glory when he comes again and he's going to take his elect to be with him what an exciting thing who said so? Jesus did. I didn't make up the theology. I'm just preaching what he said. Do you believe it? 
This is exciting stuff to me because this is for sure. And then he goes on, he says, assuredly, truly, I say to you. In other words, I'm not lying to you. I'm not deceiving you. This is real. This generation, you say, no, wait, this generation, that meant that people were there. No, no. He didn't, doesn't mean it that way. This generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Elsewhere, it talks about the generation as, as the time of the Gentiles. It's going to be the time when the Gentiles rule. That's that generation. And when that generation passes, then he will return. There will be a period of time when the Gentiles will rule. Now, I don't want again to get into timing here, but in Hosea chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, God declares through the prophet Hosea, he says, After two days I will revive my people, and on the third day I will restore her to power. You can go back, check me out on that one, okay? Um, And so God declares that there was going to be a coming a day, there was going to be coming a time when Israel would be revived. What did we find happen back in 1948? Nation of Israel was reborn, it was revived, okay? On the third day she will be restored to power. Is Israel the, the world power right now? No, we're still looking forward to that to happen. And Jesus declares it will happen. I'm living in those days, y'all. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I think if I live to a standard age that Jesus is coming in my lifetime, I really honestly believe that mathematically from the Word of God that it's, it's all there. I'm not, gonna, I'm not Harold Camping. I'm not going to give you days and hours because Jesus said no one knows it. All I'm just going to tell you is I'm looking at the signs and wonders that he declared that if you're looking at these things, you know it's coming. And I'm looking at these things that God has declared in his Word, and you know what? I'm telling you, it's coming, okay? I'm excited about it. I mean, I just, man, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather go through the portal of the harpazo, the rapture of the church, than through the portal of death. But either way, I'm going to what? I'm going to get there, and I'll be in his presence. And he says, but of that day and hour knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so that also, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And he says, listen, though it's of a certainty, in that day, people will be what? The what? They will be, no, they don't think it's going to happen. They're going to reject it. They're going to ignore it. They're going to say, you guys are a bunch of crackpots. Just as it was in the day of Noah, Noah is building a four-story boat, ark, not on the river, not on the lake, not on the sea, not on the ocean, but in his backyard, okay? It's one and a half football fields long, and it's a, uh, 75 feet wide, okay? Huge! Huge. Took him years, potentially 100, 120 years to build, right? And the whole long we know from Scripture, he's, he's preaching to the people to get them to do what? To repent and join him on the boat. And they think he's an idiot. Could you imagine? I mean, I don't get it, because it says, God says he's going to bring the animals to him. That means that they're coming two by two. That means that elephants are walking through town or coming to Noah's house. And you got you know, horses and lions coming to his house and, and alligators and monkeys and everything else and they're all walking to Noah's house. And the people who are living in rejection see all this. And they're coming to Noah's house and by their own volition they're doing what? They're getting on the boat. And the people are still saying what? Oh no, that oh. Look at him, he's going to have his own little menagerie boat. Oh, and they're going to have fun. You know, where do they, where do they close the door? And one of those lions goes, oh, hold on, you idiot, I can't believe it. You know, I mean, what certainty can there be? What more do they need? 
And as Belshazzar, King Belshazzar of Babylon, loins were loosened, when he saw the hand of God writing on the wall, and you know what it means by his loins were loosened, right? And, um, and could you imagine the loins loosened all these people when they saw this hand come out of nowhere and close the boat from the outside, the door of the boat from the outside, and then pitch it? Did you ever think about it? God closed the door, and God pitched it on the outside. How did that happen? I kind of envisioned the hand from Daniel having a precursor in the days of Noah. And can you imagine all the, all the neighbors just kind of leaning on the chain link fence, just kind of jawing, saying, Look at those boys. I can't believe they're getting on the boat. They're really going to do it. Oh, Noah. How long is it going to last? And all of a sudden, you know what happened? That hand came. Or whatever happened, that door starts closing on its own and the, and the pit starts coming, right? And then you know what happened right after that? They're looking up for the bird because they felt something wet hit them from above. <laughs> they were on the wrong team. They're on the wrong side of the boat. <laughs> wrong side of the door. And so it's going to be the day of Christ's return. People are going to mock you about the creation, about the flood, and about the return of Christ. Just read Second Peter chapter 3. That's when it says, but grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the context of it. Because you want to grow in the grace of Christ because in those last days, that's what's going to happen. They're going to be mocking you. Do you see it happening today? All over. That's what the world gets a kick out of you guys. If you went to that Facebook page that, that, you know, where we were declared nutsos and everything else, I mean, we were religious idiots. And people were getting a great thrill out of hearing that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, of the truth. And they thought we were just a bunch of religious idiots. And that's the way it'll be in the end days. There is a certainty. It will occur just like it occurred in the days of Noah. I love it. And then he gives these other illustrations. I don't have time to go into them. About the, you know, if, if, if you knew what day, what, an hour, your house was going to be broke into, wouldn't you be sitting with, the, the, with your 12-gauge? Now, I know Jesus didn't say it that way, but that's, we bring it in our vernacular. He says, if you knew the house was going to be broken into, wouldn't you be ready for it? He says, then be ready. You ought to be prepared. You ought to be waiting. You ought to know it's here. But we don't what? We don't spend our time dwelling upon the Word of God, meditating upon it. And so Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the God, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its seasons, its leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. If there's nothing else that draws you to the Word of God, to be reading it and to be meditating on it, to be studying it, to be memorizing, to be hiding in your heart, it ought to be the affairs of this world. Quit reading the, wor- the, the world's news. Do you know what? It's going to get worse and worse. But God's news stays the same. It's good news. Sorry. It's a blessing to me. But if you're on the wrong side today, listen, if you're not on, the wrong, if you're not on Jesus' side, this is bad news. I'm telling you, it's good news because I'm on the right side. But if you're on the wrong side, it's bad news to you. And it's what? It's calamity uncertain. Well, the resurrection of the dead. Now, again, this depends on which side of the, uh, which side of the field you're on here, okay? I mean, I see this as what? 
exciting good news. It'll be bad news to you. But I promise you, if it's bad news to you today, it can become good news to you one moment later because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And this could be the day of your salvation. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment, but God desires for you to have a relationship with him. Now, this resurrection of the dead, um, that God says that, that all people are going to be here, I want to read some verses here. I, I put these four verses up on the screen so that you don't have to try to turn to them right now. Okay, but in Romans 6.23, a verse you all know, very clearly, it tells us the, the two, two sides in a, in a nutshell. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. And how is that? Through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Okay, well, in John 5, 24 to 29, Jesus said this. He said, Most assuredly, truly again, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, that is the Father, has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Stop for a moment. Don't read the rest of it. I know it's kind of hard. It's up there. And so... I should have made an extra slide so you couldn't read it, right? Okay. And so most of us would see this and we'd say, oh, wait a second. No, no. That doesn't mean all the dead are going to be raised up. It means only the what? The saved ones are. They're going to be raised up. But continue on. He says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he's the Son of Man. Makes sense. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Think about that. It's not saying only the believers. It says that everyone, the small and great, believers and unbelievers, who are dead, are going to what? They're going to hear the voice of God. And what's going to happen? And they're going to come forth. Remember when we talked about Lazarus? That I, I, I shared the fact that when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he had to say that because otherwise what? Everybody would be coming out of that tomb. He was just talking to Lazarus that day. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Otherwise, if he said, come forth, everybody's going to come out. Right? And so they're going to all hear his voice, and they're going to come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, that's pretty straightforward, don't you think? I don't think there's any mints in that one. Okay? Jesus says, everybody, now hear what I'm saying, everybody has eternal life. Everybody has everlasting existence. Do you get it? The question is, where are you going to spend it? You are an eternal being because you were made in the image and likeness of God. And God is an eternal being, and so when he made man, he made him an eternal being. You are an eternal being, not in the past, but in the future. The question is, where will you spend it? Is it going to be a part of the resurrection of life? Or the resurrection of condemnation. Well, we get a little bit more illustration about this from the book of Daniel in chapter 12. Daniel, this is Old Covenant stuff, Old Testament stuff, yeah. It says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, I think we just read about that, right? Since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What an exciting promise from Daniel, from the Old Covenant, you know? And so we see the fulfillment of this in the book of Revelation, 
Revelation 20, this is about the white throne judgment. The small, the, the great and the small, the dead were all raised up, and they're all going to stand before this great white throne judgment, and they're all going to be judged according to their works. But then it goes on and says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so here we have my, my white throne. Okay? And I, I wish I'd have brought a stack of books in. I, I did this years ago. But anyways, picture on this side, this volume, just volumes of books. Okay? Over here. And then on, 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 on the right side, you have just this, this singular book sitting here on a stand. And I'm picking John. Okay, John? We're, we're buddies. And so, 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 so God brings, you know, John is brought before the throne, okay? And, and, and they say, John, born in the United States. Well, maybe it was this, the, the country of California. I don't know, whatever you want to call that. And uh, anyways, and, and they give the details. How are they going to do that, you know? And, and, and over on the side, you're going to have all these, you know, uh, legal experts of heaven going through the books, and they're going to find John, you know? And, and, and they're going to say... Can, can, you, can you give us a listing of the charges? How long is it going to be, John? He's got a couple volumes, right? Yeah, I, 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 I think all those volumes are just mine. They, they probably, I mean, I don't know how they do this, because I know I haven't got just one book on me. I've got volumes, a laptop. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, i got terabytes on me, okay? The rap sheet on Bob is bad, you know? And, and so, so anyways, he's going to be judged according to his works. Now, looky, if... If you were a model citizen all of your life, but you lost your job and your family is starving, and you go and rob a bank with a toy pistol, okay, and you've never done this before, so you don't notice the lady going like this, hitting the button, you know, you think she's reaching for money, and so she gives you a little bit of money, and you turn around and you're instantly greeted by, you know, by the guys in the blue, right? and, and, and they want to give you a gift. What's the gift? Handcuffs, and so and so, and they want to take you for a ride. I mean, what's this? I mean, this is awesome. You know what? A, what a place. Anyways, and you stand before the judge, and you say, to the "Judge, look, and I've never done anything like this in my life. My family is starving. You know, I'm, I'm, you're, we're ready to lose everything." And he's going to say, "Oh man, okay, I forgive you. That's right. You just go ahead." Hey guys, come on, have a have a life. Why the bank? You should give him five hundred dollars. What's this all about? Why are you hitting the button, wasting our time? Is that what's going to happen? No, isn't that nuts? James chapter two verse ten is going to come about. And though you obey the whole law, and yet you sin at one point, you're what? Guilty of it all. And you're going to be thrown in jail. It doesn't matter whether you never speeded before. It doesn't matter when you, whether you've always paid your taxes and you did it meticulously and you didn't try to steal a penny from the government. It didn't matter whether you always obeyed your mom and dad, and it didn't matter whether you never chewed bubble gum in school when you weren't supposed to. Do you get what I'm saying? One sin. Now you say, man, there ain't nobody look like that. And so think about if now you're going before that judge and, and you're like the guy that I read in the paper this week who, who thinks it's incredulous that he's getting life in prison for killing somebody. He didn't mean to do it. And he's got a rap sheet that goes up one arm and down the other arm and probably up in my leg and down the other leg. I mean, it was incredible. And there's an injustice happening here. And I, I go, good grief. But you know what? That's what it's going to be like in my day when I stand before the judge. And I expect leniency. You expect leniency? You deserve to go to hell. That's the facts. But after you are judged and after you are condemned by that which is in the book of 
works by your own things, by what you were able to accomplish, because no, you're good. It works. It just doesn't happen that way. Jesus is going to be sitting here, the advocate. Not the adversary, the advocate. And he's going to be looking in the Lamb's book of life. And he's going to say, but Father, I died for John. As I died for the sins of the whole world. And John has accepted my payment. John has has received the redemption that I offered. And he's placed his trust in that. And so, Father, I've already paid. I've paid it for him. And the father's going to look at John. He's going to say, John, you are my child. And you can enter into my heaven. But assume for a moment John hadn't done that. The father's going to look to the son. And the son's going to say, it's just going to do the shake of the head or however it's going to happen. Because the sad truth is that though he had the opportunity to accept that free gift, he would have rejected it. And so his condemnation doesn't come from the father. His condemnation comes from himself. Because the free gift, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this free gift is being offered to you right now. I didn't preach the message for this purpose, but I'm excited about the big crowd that's here. You cannot get there that day and say, I never heard. I didn't know. You do. And you make the decision whether you accept or reject. There's no being on the fence. You're either for them or you're against them. There's no middle ground. And anyone who's not found, anyone not found written in the book of life is going to be cast in the lake of fire. There is no middle ground in the end. There is either the resurrection of life or the resurrection of condemnation. My prayer for you is that all of you will have experienced the resurrection of life. Finally, we have the exception of the saints. This is just, boy, I just, I look forward to this. Um, Jesus said in John chapter 14, or John, yeah, John 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. If you know, you can say it with me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm sorry. Um, anyways, I probably messed it up, okay? But you got it. You said it with me. Okay. Jesus gave a promise. That, and then he said, he says, and, um, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's where I was going, and I messed up. Okay? But he made us a promise. He says, look, it, don't, be, don't be anxious. Don't be troubled. If you believe in God, believe in me, because I'm going to go prepare a place for you. That word mansion means, actually, literally in the Greek, means it's another room. It's a, it's a, it's a guest room, Okay? And so, in it, it's Jewish understanding. You understand this because in the marriage concept, okay, in the in the comp, the father's compound, the son would build them a room. He would build them a place, and then he would go get the bride and bring the bride back to the father's compound. Okay, they didn't go build her a, a mansion. Okay, and uh, but if God needs, you know, God knows you need a mansion. You'll have a mansion. It's okay. All right. But I just want to be in His presence. The closer I get to the to the throne, I'm excited about. It. I don't care if I've got a sleeping bag. You know. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm good, okay? And, but 
But that's the idea. Jesus is going and he's preparing a dwelling place for me. Whether it's a mansion, whether it's a hovel, whether it's a tent, whether it's a, a sleeping bag, I don't know. He's preparing the place for me. And when he's done preparing the place for me, for you, what's he going to do? He's going to come get me. He's going to come get me. He's going to have a whole lot of rooms prepared at the same time one day. That's the harpazo of the church. He's going to gather us up and bring us together. What an exciting time. And 1 John 3 says that when that happens, when that happens and I'm in his presence, guess what, guess what I'll be like? I'm going to be like him. I'm going to look like him, man. Not just with the beard now. I mean, I'm going to look like him in purity. Okay? Now, that's not why I'm growing the beard, because it says to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is not all about Okay? But I look forward to being in that spiritual image of Christ, to be, to be holy as he is holy, to be pure as he is pure. And that's why it says, and those who have this confidence, those who have this hope, seek to do what now? Purify themselves. That's one of the ways you can know if someone's really saved. They have a desire to be what? They know that Jesus is coming and they're looking forward to it and so they want to be like him. Well, what do we see? First of all, his return. He's going to come again. Acts 1, verse 11. Acts 1, verse 11. Turn with me there. What do we know from Acts 1, 11? That happens to correlate with what Jesus said in Matthew 24. It says the, the angels are looking down at the disciples who are looking up at Jesus, who just ascended in the clouds, verse 9. Verse 11, they say to him, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in what? Like manner, just as you saw him go into heaven. How is Jesus going to come back? In the clouds, in glory. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I love the book of the Thessalonians. Right now I'm... I'm, I'm trying, Lord willing, to memorize the book. And uh, I'm talking about spiritual war, you know, as you get into it. I'm, at, I'm almost at the end of chapter 3. Looking forward to getting into 4. And, uh, but in chapter 4, we read, beginning at verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. God doesn't want you to be what? Ignorant. He wants you to be with knowledge. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will what? Rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, the clouds, again, we got these clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. These people who don't believe that Christ is coming in the clouds, I don't get it. I mean, how do you, how do you get around this? And, you know, I mean, there's so many verses that talk about Jesus is coming in the clouds. And, 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 and honestly, I'm a realist. I mean, that is, that's a big group out there who, who believe that Jesus came back in the clouds of the Roman hoofbeats. I mean, Show me the verse on that one. I, I don't get it. And Hank Hanegraaff, you know, he's one of those preterists. You know, the Bible man, you know, the answer man. You know, he doesn't believe in a, a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture. He be, he's, he's one of these guys that believes this. I'm thinking, golly, how can you have so much other truth that you understand and you can't read a verse and understand it? I mean, it's pretty clear to me. I, I'm trying. I'm, try, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I, 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 just, I just don't get it sometimes when you can read something literally and it's right there in front of you. Jesus is coming. It's literal. It's promised. It's going to happen. And he's going to come 
in the clouds, not on the ground. The world is looking for a what? A deliverer. They're looking for a Messiah. The, the Muslims are looking for it. What is the president of Iran looking for? It's right, the, the, fifth, the fifth appearing or whatever it is. And, and he's hoping that he brings great turmoil on the earth so this guy will come. He's got something right. There's going to be turmoil on the earth and then Messiah is really going to come. But it ain't going to be the one he's thinking about. It's going to be Antichrist. The Jews are looking for him. Christians, majority of Christians are looking for a, a physical Messiah to set up a millennium. We need to be students of the word. This is incredible. So his return, it is promised. Our expectation, what's our expectation? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's a lot of verses here. We're not going to be able to look at all of them. Beginning verse 4, Paul says to the, the believers of Corinth, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship and son of Jesus Christ our Lord. What did Paul say that they were, they were, they were doing? They were eagerly awaiting what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. They were waiting for Christ to return. Turn back to the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, but this time chapter 1. This is thrilling, the, the, the testimony of these early saints. What he said about us this way. I'm going to start um, in verse 2. I'll read the whole, almost the whole chapter here. It's a small chapter. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, and our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. And you became followers of us in the Lord, having received the word with much affliction, in, in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. From who? These new believers. I mean, they had Paul go in there and preach the gospel. They received the gospel, and now all of a sudden they've become trumpets proclaiming the word of God. He says, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in Every place, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Look at these were, these were young believers in Thessalonica. They, they heard the message that Paul was proclaiming. They received it. They turned from their idols. They turned from their falseness of the world to turn to, li- the, to, the, to the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, even the Lord Jesus who was going to deliver them from the wrath to come. And it was noted by not just a couple people in there in Thessalonica, maybe some other believers. It was noted by all those around because from them the word of the Lord had sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia but also in every place. 
so that Paul didn't need to say a thing because he said that because your faith toward God has gone out abroad, so we don't need to say a word for for they declare themselves concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. In other words, we go someplace, we go to open our mouth and say, you don't need to say anything, man. We've heard what happened there in Thessalonica. Man, what a what a revival or a revival, not a revival, it was a revival. They were coming, you know. They were all insane and, and things were happening just like it was in the other cities. They were bringing out their idols, they're burning their books, they're burning the stuff of witchcraft. They don't have Halloween anymore. Sorry, it's October. And I mean, they're serving the, the living and true God. They're not worrying about the customs of the world. I mean, in Philippi, I think it was Philippi, was it Ephesus or Philippi, where the silversmiths were raised up against them because they were worried about it was Philippi. It was all about their money. They were, they, were, they were losing business because people were getting saved and they're not buying icons anymore. Could you imagine what would happen to the NFL? If people said, no, Sunday's the Lord's Day, I'm going to watch that, I don't care about the NFL. Hmm. I know, I love the Steelers, I, I, I admit that. But honestly, I recognize the fact that they are what? They are so far below. This day is about God, not about football. It's his day, not their day. College football's on, on the Shabbat, I think, to distract me from that day of, day of rest. NFL's on, on the Lord's Day to distract me from, from, from the resurrection of Christ. There ain't no doubt in my mind. You say, well, it's on the weekend just because that's the time. Well, whatever. I mean, clearly they can play games on Thursday night. Play them all on Thursday night. It's a distraction from the Lord. And we've got to be careful. And just as those people in the early days, they got it. And it transformed their life. No longer were they conformed to the world, but they were transformed in the renewing of their mind. They repented. They changed the way they thought. And when they changed the way they thought, it changed the way they acted. And they turn to the living and true God. What expectation do you have? Are you waiting for Jesus to come back? Where are you placing your trust? Is it in this world? Or is it in the Lord? Are you looking forward to the return of Christ? In which resurrection are you going to be a part of? Are you going to be a part of the resurrection of life? Or the resurrection combination? Looking, I'm not praying, I'm not preaching this as judgment to anybody here. I honestly, and I remember, I remember when I was a visitor in a Baptist church the first time, and, and, and I was just so turned off. And, and I don't want to be that guy. I, I, this is good news to me. I'm so excited. And if you don't know him, I just want you to know him. And so if you're here today, and that's you. But honestly, if you're here today, and you say, oh, no, no, I'm a part of that. But if you're not anticipating his return, if you're not looking forward to it and you're not wanting to be conformed to his image, then there's a lot of repentance that needs to happen in your life. Changing the way you think. And I pray that you would, you would go before the Lord and you would call upon his name and ask him to transform you and transform you and transform you. Get rid of the dross. Get rid of the dross. Get rid of the dross. Until you're so like Jesus that other people see it. We need a revival in this land. But it's only going to happen if that revival starts right here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for your word. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And, Lord, sometimes it hurts when it cuts. But, Lord, as the, as the surgeon has to, to make incisions in order to cut out the cancer, to cut out the infection, Lord, 
so you need to do that spiritually speaking into our lives. And so, Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that you will help us to become more like you, that you would cut out that uckiness that's within us. Lord, help us to, to, to know. Clearly, we don't go to the doctors until we know that we're sick. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, we would help us to know that we have this infection, we have this cancer. And, Lord, that we would look to you, the great physician. Lord, if there's any here that really they don't know you, I don't know who they are, but, Lord, you would know. They could be here for years. Lord, that you would convict them of their, their sin and their need for you. And today would be the day of their salvation. And they, these promises, Lord, would be great news and not great sorrow. That the calamity and the certainty, though it may be, yet there will be great strength in the midst of it. That you, Lord, would be the Lord of their lives. For we know that truly Jesus is coming again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.